a victory in the battle against poaching. Chinese customs agents have seized 13 tons of scales from the highly endangered pangolin. It's estimated that 2,000 pangolins were killed for their scales, which are valued at nearly $50 million. The Royal Malaysian Customs have seized another illegal shipment of pangolin scales that were being smuggled. Vietnamese authorities have seized more than two tons of illegal pangolin scales in Pangolins are the most trafficked mammals in the world. These prehistoric creatures have been around for over 80 million years. Yet China's demand is pushing them to the edge of extinction. As lucrative wildlife trafficking to supply this demand goes global, more and more pangolins are being intercepted by customs officials in an effort to stop this illegal trade. In this episode, we look at the smuggling trade routes in Asia that feed Chinese demand for pangolins and how this trafficking is impacting the social fabric of these countries. Welcome to Sustainable Asia. I'm Marcy Trent Long. This is Season 7, The Pangolin Reports. In Episode 1, Bonnie Ao, a Hong Kong-based journalist, and I went undercover with two reporters in Myanmar and China to find out why pangolins are so sought after by Chinese. It turns out that pangolin meat is considered a delicacy and pangolin scales are still being sold in China markets for medicinal purposes. But this demand for pangolins could be changing as researchers in China identify pangolins as a possible link to the Wuhan coronavirus outbreak. Earlier this year, China announced a temporary ban on all wildlife trade. NGOs around the world and many Chinese on social media are now calling for a permanent wildlife trade ban in China. And this is a drastic change from, let's say, a year ago, when consuming wildlife like pangolins was still pretty much an accepted practice for many Chinese. We ended the last episode with a clip from a Burmese trader showing her pangolin for sale and then slapping it back into its basket. But how did that pangolin get to Myanmar, and will it eventually make its way to China? That brings us back to the journalists like Jiaming Xu, a lead reporter with the Pangolin Reports. After we left Jiaming in South Myanmar's Yangon City in episode one, he headed over to Mandalay in the central part of the country, where he found shopkeepers that were willing to smuggle pangolin scales into China. This shopkeeper says he can transport the scales from Mandalay to the border city of Musei and can bring it across into China's railway city in Yunnan province. Many other shops he spoke to also mentioned this route. So Jiaming says that railway in China's Yunnan province is one of the main routes to trade illegally. And in fact, it is also a significant route for legal trade between China and Myanmar. Now, this is quite interesting because most illegal trade in Myanmar seems to happen in remote rural areas. 
and not through bustling cities like Muse and Reili. So earlier, the shopkeeper guaranteed that he could help Jiaming transport scales across the border. But that was about it. When Jiaming asked to ship to other cities in China, the shop owner seemed hesitant. Jiaming asked again, and the shop owner gave a definite no. Most of the traders we spoke to said they could help us ship to China, but only to somewhere just across the border like Ray Li. When we asked if they could get the goods to Kunming or Guangzhou, they didn't think it would be easy. China has a lot of border police and custom checkpoints, especially along well-known smuggling routes to Yunnan. For example, there are three checkpoints now inside China from Greili to Kunming, and this really gives smugglers a headache. So it seems, Bonnie, that most of these traders are willing to try smuggling the penguins across the Myanmar-Chinese border, but they know that within China, it becomes too difficult. Right. And it doesn't just end with Reili and Musei. There's another hotspot for the smuggling of pangolins from Myanmar into China's Yunnan province. It's the city of Mongla, which is south of Reili, near Laos. Tin Tet Bine, a senior reporter and editor with Myanmar Now, a leading Burmese online media outlet, described Mongla to me. Mongla is like a special zone. It's controlled by one ethnic armed group. So they have their own police. The police is like Mongla police, not Myanmar police force. Mongla is a, it's a very famous border town for wildlife trade, wildlife trafficking. It's a border city with China and it's very notorious, like gambling, prostitution and wildlife. These are the three things that city is famous for. And Jiaming also confirmed that these towns, like Mongla, are kind of independently controlled. The Chinese and Myanmar governments have a relatively large problem. There are many places in northern Myanmar that use civilian land forces, led by local armed forces, and are basically beyond the control of the two countries. This is a big problem and difficult to solve. Myanmar is probably more corrupt than China. So improving the law enforcement environment would not be easy. Myanmar, with its infamous towns like Mongla, does not have the enforcement structure needed to stop penguin trafficking. This smuggling hub makes it convenient for illegal traders to thrive. Tin and Jiaming said that pangolin products were out in the open and aimed at Chinese customers in Mongla. Most people there spoke Mandarin and used the Chinese yuan as their preferred currency. Since the new law in Myanmar classifying Chinese and Malayan pangolins in the most protected species category, government figures show that only six people have been convicted under that law since May 2018. In the case of Mongla, the lack of law enforcement makes the new laws rather pointless. And Myanmar isn't the only country that's struggling to regulate this illegal trade. Other countries bordering China are also battling in their own ways pangolin trafficking. Nepal has always been a transit country for smuggling of wildlife. That was Kunda Dixit, editor for the Nepali Times, and also an editor of the Pangolin Reports based in Nepal. Uh, what actually I was surprised about was how uh, the Chinese have built a network within Nepal, you know, in rural areas to collect these things and how international it is. Meaning it's not just local poachers involved in the smuggling trade, it's also outside traffickers coming into Nepal to use it as a transit point. Two Chinese people who were caught here 
they were carrying Cameroonian pangolins via Nigeria to Istanbul and then to Kathmandu and then they were taking it on to China. So it's not just a national network within within Nepal, but also international networks across three continents. It's just amazing. The two Chinese, which Kunda mentioned, had flown into Kathmandu from Africa in 2018 when they were intercepted at the airport with 162 kilograms of pangolin scales. This was the largest seizure ever of pangolin scales in Nepal and the first haul of an African species there. But with transportation infrastructure being developed across the Himalayas as a result of China's Belt and Road Initiative, wildlife trafficking through Nepal is expected to increase. China is building these highways and even a railway, the Tibet Railway is now coming by next year, will be at the Nepal border on the north side. And then there are more and more flights directly from Kathmandu to Chinese cities. So this means with greater connectivity and a large-scale Chinese tourism in Nepal, as we've seen elsewhere, uh, whenever you have this influx, uh, there's always uh, smuggling goes up because people see opportunities there. Okay, so the risk of Nepal being used as a transit country for pangolin trafficking could be on the rise. But what about the pangolins that are hunted and poached in their native Nepal habitat? In Nepal, what we found out when we interviewed farmers is that they don't really go and hunt for pangolins. But lately, some of them have started actively hunting for pangolins because they know that they can make a lot of money with it. People are desperate. They, they need the money and they, the recruiters and the, and the middlemen are very active in rural areas. So the temptation is very high. When I spoke to Kunda's colleague Sonia Awali, a digital producer for the Napoli Times, she described the stories of two smugglers convicted for carrying penguin scales. She interviewed them in Nepal's central jail in Kathmandu. Both of them were from poorer rural areas outside the capital. One of them knew that it was illegal to carry pangolin scale, but did not know that he was carrying it because it was uh, he, he was with some of his friends. And uh, one of his friends had some pangolin scales in his bag. All of them got arrested because here in Nepal, even if you're just in the same ride with a person who actually has pangolin, you still get arrested. So he was, I think, only 17 when he got arrested. Yes, still a high school student. And uh, when I met him, he told me that he's been served for uh, served five years, jail time. And he was hoping to appeal for bail. From his perspective, uh, definitely it looked like a case where he knew nothing. He was totally innocent. And the friend who actually had Banglin skills somehow managed to free himself. Sonia mentioned two smuggling cases. So I asked her to tell me the other one too. It was a case where a friend, a neighbor of his came to him and said that I have some pangolin skill and if we could manage to sell it, uh, we'll probably divide the sum between us. And uh, he went along with that. They took a motorbike and then they came to Kathmandu. And basically he told me he did not know that the punishment was going to be so severe and he was just trying to you know, make a living is what he was saying. So both of them were not actually the hardened criminal. In Nepal, anyone responsible for killing, poaching, transporting, selling or buying the pangolin is punishable with a 14,000 US dollar fine or up to 15 years in jail. Of course, for many Nepalese, paying the fine is impossible. So jail is the only option. So it sounds like the Nepalese government 
is trying to step up their enforcement. But some people, often in poor rural areas, aren't aware of the stiff penalties. Yes, a lot of these arrests seems to sacrifice the lower level of the smuggling chain. But much of the higher criminal network remains unaffected and at large. We'll be right back. We couldn't produce this podcast without the generous support of our sponsors, Media X. Media X is in Hong Kong cultivating Asia's next generation of media innovators and entrepreneurs. Media X is based out of the Journalism and Media Studies Center at the University of Hong Kong, where Sustainable Asia is also recorded. Also, a quick plug for our media partners, China Dialogue. The China Dialogue bilingual website offers informative discussions on China and the environment, including the show notes for this podcast in Mandarin and English. They're VPN-free in China and have an active WeChat group. Now back to Season 7, The Pangolin Reports. So we discovered earlier that it's not just the pangolins that are being caught in this web of criminal trafficking. But is it worth it for the people at the bottom, like the poachers and the small-scale smugglers? I mean, how much do they really earn? To find out, we look at Indonesia, another source country that has its native pangolins. Unlike Nepal, which is an interlocked country between India and China, Indonesia is an archipelago country with over 12,000 islands. I put that question to Wayu Dayamika, editor-in-chief of Temple Magazine in Indonesia, who was also involved in the Pangolin reports. The poachers maybe only get like 5 to 10% of the end price of these scales. So they actually don't have any idea how valuable what they are doing is. We try not to emphasize this because we are afraid that this will encourage people to do more poaching. Why you also said that what is really driving this illegal trading business is how lucrative it is for people further up the chain. According to the Pangolin reports, prices for Pangolin scales can easily increase 30-fold along the supply network. I asked Yu then, how much do these poachers get paid for Pangolin meat? So um, these poachers on the field, they usually only get paid like $20. Okay. So 20 US dollars for a kilogram of pangolin meat. What happens after that? The poachers usually send their captured pangolin to a collector. So a couple of collectors, then if they have enough scales, then send it every four or six months to a bigger traders in the, in the city. In, maybe it's in Pontiana or maybe it's in Samarang, in central Java. So they are the one who are really connected to the smuggling network. The poachers and the collectors have no idea of this this network. So the network then, if they have orders from abroad, will contact all of these city-based collectors, the, the, the one that collect all of the, the villages captured pangolins, and they are the one who then arrange for the shipment and get the biggest cut of the trades. And as we said earlier, Indonesia is an archipelago country, so it has many seafood trading ports. And that makes it easy for these collectors to conceal the penguin scales on a ship with frozen fish, squid and oysters that are being exported up north. 
Indonesia is one of the main source country for pangolin scales, meats, also live ones that were sent to China mostly, but also to other parts of Asia, like Vietnam and Malaysia. Why you also said that as palm oil plantations have expanded in Indonesia, forest habitat for pangolins is shrinking. The pangolins then move into new areas outside the forest and are exposed to poachers. But surely the police should be able to track these poachers down, right? The problem on the ground, mostly lack of resources from the police because they have other pressing criminal issues to deal with. So without a strong public advocacy, without strong international pressure, the police will not put this pangolin smuggling issues high on the list because of their other issues on their agenda. So Indonesia struggles with some of the same issues as Myanmar and Nepal. They lack some of the necessary resources for law enforcement to combat this wildlife trafficking. And if you set the price for penguins high enough, there will be a strong temptation for locals to take part in the smuggling. And often it is the small-scale local poachers and traders, the poorer people at the bottom of the smuggling pyramid, that get caught and go to jail. Just one pangolin worth of scales can already provide a life-changing sum of money for people living in some of these countries' poorest communities. The pangolin's defense mechanism against predators, where it rolls itself into a scaly ball, unfortunately makes it easy prey for human hunters. Kunda Dexit from the Nepali Times sums it up. You know, it has worked with other wildlife smuggling efforts, I think the easier way is to address the pull factor from China. You have to go to the market and reduce the demand for it. And unless awareness in China grows, it's not going to happen. So the best way to stop the trafficking of pangolins is to put an end to the demand. In the next episode, we'll go undercover with journalists from Vietnam and Malaysia who also participated in the pangolin reports and investigate how they handle the illegal pangolin trade in their countries. Season 7 of the Sustainable Asia podcast, The Pangolin Reports, was made in collaboration with China Dialogue and The Pangolin Reports. The season was hosted by me, Marcy Trent Long, produced by Bonnie Ao, with assistant producer Amber Hope. Sound engineering by Chris Wood. A big thank you to our voiceover Jack Lau and the whole Sustainable Asia team, Josie Chan, Crystal Wu, Yufei Wu, Sam Columby, and Jill Baxter. Alexander Mobison created the intro-outro music made from repurposed and recovered waste items. You can find his work at www.kalelover.net. Subscribe to our podcast for more content and share our podcast with your friends if you support our work. To find out more about us, visit our website, sustainableasia.co, and follow us on Twitter at Sustainable Asia or Facebook, Sustainable Asia Co. Show notes for this podcast can be found in English and Mandarin at chinadialogue.net. Thank you and stay tuned for next week. <laughs>